touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and joining me in the studio today is a really rambunctious Julie Douglas from Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Hi, Julie. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so, so excited to play with you today. This is exciting for me, too. Julie was once upon a time my editor here at Health Stuff Works. It's true. A and long we would time have ago. just these boisterous conversations about toward versus towards and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah, I, she did not appreciate my Anglophilic ways. Now, Julie, when yes. I invited you on to the show, mm-hmm. I did what I normally do and I extended to my guest the opportunity to pick whatever topic he or she might like. And yeah. you picked a really cool one. Yeah, I wanted to talk about water. And all of this came from uh, some stuff that's been in the news lately, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to Gwyneth Paltrow talking about water and this idea that water might have a conscious, which is, well, interesting. A little, yeah, a little, little uh, let's say eccentric uh, compared to the standard scientific view. So uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different kinds of technology and water and whether, you know, there's going to be some, in fact, the first half, we're really going to be talking a lot about technology that mm, is probably best described as pseudoscientific. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end, we'll talk about some actual uh, technology that's based on hard science and how that affects water. And uh, so that's, we're looking at everything here because water, as it turns out, really important to us. Yeah. And, and, and I just want to say this, too. I was thinking about this. Um, there, There's some magical you know, thinking that goes into water. Sure. And I thought, you know, this, this really harkens back to someone like Richard Dawkins, who has his book, The Magic of Reality, and yeah. really celebrates, like, you know, the the actual reality of our physical world is far more astounding than some of the sort of things that we like to dream up sure. and project yeah. upon it. So that's why I thought, this is cool. You can lo- you can really look at water and see that it is this phenomenal substance. Yeah. Uh which I guess we could kind of tip our hats at and say thanks because we wouldn't really be here, at least in this form, possibly, without right, well, you. Well, definitely not this form. We would be Ooh. a very different form without water. So I wanted to start with just some random, uh, well, not really random, but some some facts about water. Now, a lot of this stuff is going to sound like third grade science, and it should, but it's stuff that's important because the a lot of the, the pseudoscientific technology is really based upon a lack of understanding or it's dependent upon consumers' lack of understanding of basic mm-hmm. science. So uh, water, let's go ahead and get it out there. H2O, it's a molecule, two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom, making sweet, sweet molecular love Aww. until you get a water molecule. Uh, uh, and we've got the three basic states, right? You've mm-hmm. got water is the liquid state. You've got ice, which is the solid state, and then water vapor or steam, which is the gaseous state. Which all contributes to the water cycle. Should yep. we do a quick thing on that real quick? Sure. Like you, yeah, you yeah. Got the sun burning down so very hot yep. upon, like, say, a lake or yep. the ocean. And then what does that do? It, it creates a gaseous yeah. state. You get some water, water evaporation. Water it evaporation. goes into the atmosphere. Or it hangs out yep. there and it, it becomes condensation in those clouds. Yep. And when you get a perfect uh, amount of saturation and condensation and you have some particulates in that area, then droplets can form around those particulates. If they get heavy enough, they fall. And then we get rain. Yeah, or snow. And then or you have the, the collection of it again in oceans, lakes, and rivers. Yeah. Magical and stuff, really. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, and this is also going to be important in our conversation, it's a closed system. This yeah. water's not leaving the planet. It's not coming in from outside the planet. 
pretty much the water that we have here today has been here for millions of years. Closed system, and, and I'm doing like wild gesticulating with my arms. hands right now, Muppet yeah. arms, in an energetically open way, right? Yeah. So it can change forms I, when I say energetically open. Oh, sure. Open. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's not, it's not confined to a single state or anything like that. Also, what's what I think is one of the, the coolest things about water is it's different from a lot of other liquids in that when it freezes, it expands. Now, generally speaking, when stuff gets cold, it tends to contract. You have uh, molecular movement slows down, right? Yeah. That's essentially what we're talking about with temperature. Uh, if something is hot, you've got a lot more molecular movement going on. When something is very cold, there's a lot less. So when we say zero Kelvin, when we talk about absolute zero, mm -hmm. we're talking about the absence of molecular movement. Right. Or yeah. atomic movement, if you want to think of it that way. So if you're talking about water, the interesting thing is that as you cool it down, it does start to contract until you get to about four degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. And between four and zero, zero being the freezing point, zero Celsius, uh, water begins to expand. And by the time it hits freezing point, it will expand about nine percent. Now, this is different from most other liquids. Most other liquids, when they freeze, are they contract, they get, they shrink. Mm -hmm. So the reason for this is the actual molecular structure of water. It has these, these hydrogen atoms in it. Hydrogen is a very reactive element. It likes to bond with other stuff. Um, you, you'll see that all over nature when you start looking into compounds. Hydrogen is in the mix a lot. Yeah. So hydrogen will end up making these, uh, these crystalline structures as it starts to freeze mm -hmm. where it spaces out the molecules a bit. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it's not as compact as it is in liquid form. And that's unusual. Not a lot of liquids do that. So I think that's pretty cool. It also means that water in ice form is less dense than water. So that's why ice floats on top of water. Yeah. And according to an October 29th, 2003 article in the medium, so I love this quote. It says, that's one reason why life on Earth has flourished. If ice were denser than water, lakes and oceans would freeze from the bottom up, almost certainly preventing the kind of chemistry that makes life possible. Mm -hmm. So thank you, weird freezing properties of ice. Yeah, yeah we actually really lucked out there. And also uh, things to remember, water, the boiling point is 100 degrees Celsius. That's 212 Fahrenheit. And uh, that is at sea level because... Barometric pressure will change the boiling point of water. In fact, pressure in general changes the boiling point. So if you have lower pressure, you need less heat to boil water. If you have high pressure, then you need more heat to boil water. So if you were at the top of Mount Everest, you could boil water if you just got it up to 68 degrees Celsius, which is 154 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. It's kind of cool. I would like to boil water. On Mount Everest. Yeah. I really would. You first It'd have to lovely. get there. That would be the hard part. And I'd need to bring my own oxygen. Yeah. It might be a bit of a thing. No, it's a, it's a definitely a thing. Now, um, have you seen the videos of people taking boiling water, like a pan of it, and going outside in the freezing cold and then just throwing it and it immediately it becomes ice? Yeah, ice crystals form. I've seen videos like that. I've never looked into them. It's pretty cool. It's actually called the Mapembo or excuse me, Mapemba effect. It's named after Tanzanian student Erasto Mapembo. In the, in the 1960s, he actually noticed this. It was like in a cookery class or something. Huh. And so uh, apparently even Aristotle knew about this and, you know, was wondering, like, why does this happen? And right. so there is an idea out there that warmer water is... Freezes faster than cold water? Yes, mm -hmm. because it's giving off more of its energy. 
Interesting. And so it's, and, and I'm not going to go way deep into it, but it's sort of like a, a momentum idea here. Like, there's, there's a great, have you ever heard of a, a column called the Straight Dope? I have. Yeah, Straight Dope. It, it started off as a, a weekly column in a Chicago, a free Chicago newspaper and eventually became syndicated across the, the world. And, uh, one of the questions I remember reading in there was, does cold water boil faster than hot water? And mm-hmm. does hot water freeze faster than cold water? And it drove the, the writer insane as he was as he was looking more and more deeply into it. He says, all right, it turns out that extremely hot water will freeze faster than warm water. But, you know, OK, wait, wait, no, I, I got that wrong. Wait, it says that <laughs> you could just tell that he was that this was mind bending for him. And there are some very kind of mind bending facts about water. Well, that so. seems counterintuitive. right? Yeah. Like, Why would warmer water cool, freeze faster? Right. Yeah. Cool faster than cold water yeah yeah so it, it, there's definitely uh some some weird sort of contradictions there other things that are important to remember out of all the water that's on earth only about three percent of it is fresh water mm. uh, the rest of it's seawater and uh the stuff that we find in lakes streams ponds and swamps makes up about 0.3 percent of all the world's water uh, most of the fresh water on earth is trapped in glaciers Aww. yeah uh, and so, which we uh, actually don't really want to melt. No, you know? no, that would be a bad thing for many, many reasons. The sea level is already kind of at yeah. Its max no, right Miami now. is already really facing some big issues with rising sea levels, and it's just going to get more difficult. Uh, so the average American household. This is one of those facts that you hear all the time that should really kind of open your eyes. Yeah. The average American household uses more than 100,000 gallons of water per year, which includes both indoor and outdoor use. So watering your lawn, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that means your average family could fill an Olympic sized swimming pool in a little more than six years time. So have you ever seen those signs before that say if it's Yellow, let it mellow. Yeah, in, in restrooms. Yes, this is one of the reasons. A hundred thousand gallons. Yeah, a lot of that is from flushing toilets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, stuff you should know is Chuck Bryant uh, has talked about that particular philosophy before in stuff you should know. I remember listening to an old episode where he talked about it, and I thought, "You go, dude," uh, and then go again because you haven't flushed yet. So he's mellow like that. He is. Uh, then you have the the fact about the average American using about a hundred gallons of water per day. Meanwhile, your average resident of sub-Saharan Africa uses between two to five. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I look away shamefully. It's tough. I mean, this is a tough thing to look at. And then, of course, water is incredibly important. Not only is it in- incredibly prevalent on the earth, not only does it cover most of the surface mm-hmm. of the earth, it also accounts for between 55% and 78% of a person's body weight. Which I think is why, and we'll, we'll come to this later, why we sort of have fetishized water yeah. as, as something to consume or, or to douse ourselves in. Sure. And it comes down to this idea of, you know, purity in a way. Right. We are mostly water, so therefore this substance has a particular meaning. In fact, we can talk about that a little bit. One of the important things to remember, one of the reasons why some of the the more um, snake oil type technologies mm-hmm. are able to to flourish is because we have ascribed certain meanings to water. I mean, it, it factors heavily in culture and mythology and legends. I mean, it's it's a really important idea. Well, I have to say that I, I feel like in terms of religion, it really caught hold you know, around mm. the 1900s, this, this association between cleanliness and godliness oh, and sure. morality 
And I thought, you know, I wonder what what was that always the case? And then I was looking at a chapter on clean from the book, How We Got to Now, Six Innovations That Changed the World by Stephen Johnson. Mm. And he was saying, hey, that we weren't always so obsessed with water. Mm -hmm. And he said that as a child, Louis Thirteenth of France was not bathed once until he was seven years old. And basically, like, that's how people rolled back then. Yeah. But then, you know, you fast forward to a time period in which we have a robust plumbing infrastructure sure. and you have more access to clean water. And Kellogg comes along. Oh, Kellogg. I love, did you remember the movie, the title of that movie? Oh, I know what uh, you're talking Wellville. about. Yes, the road to Wellville. Yes. Yes, the road to Wellville. Yeah, Kellogg uh, was uh, uh, a little, little, little bit on the extreme side with... Um, cleanliness and uh, his ideas of uh, you know some some of them were very very well based in science some of them went well beyond what science could support well there was a lot of colonic irrigations going yeah. on yeah 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 the less said about that the happier i am really uh, yeah. you don't want to talk i mean cuz we could talk for a long time about colonic we, irrigations we, we, we could <laughs> we could do that but i'm going to choose not to okay so anyway it's a good example of how you know we take water and we're trying to irrigate every single bit of ourselves right. every inch of us because we want to attain some sort of i don't know a uh, symbolic level of purity yeah and then that's where you see all of a sudden you know especially i want to say like in the 1990s uh, water being bottled and distributed with this idea that there's, you know, you could have some really good, you know, quality water. Here. Yeah. Like there's some, not all waters are equivalent. Some waters are better than others. And that, uh, you know, you could, it, it doesn't matter if you were able to take two different bottles of water or 20 different bottles of water plus municipal tap water mm -hmm. and do a chemical analysis and prove that there is no discernible difference in the chemical makeup of all of these different things. That's not going to change people's minds about which water is best. I mean, there are people who are going to be convinced about that. And I mean, there are things that can go into changing uh, slight, subtle differences in waters like taste or smell mm -hmm. that can happen. But it's also true that about 25% of all bottled waters are actually just municipal tap water that's been put into bottles. Well, and, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier. The fact of the matter is, is that, you know, there's there's really only two ways that uh, tap water is collected, right? Yeah. And um, one is, you know, groundwater. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff that's seeped into the, the into the ground. And the other is, you know, lakes and rivers and so on and so forth. Right. And, of course, you know, if you're going to collect those things and you're going to try to purify them to some sure. extent. Yeah, because they're going to have some contaminants in them. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is all that water eventually has made its way through some sort of substance that probably was like a fecal matter yep. substance. Because if you look at everything that has ever lived, right, every species, um, you know, that has lived and died, then you have poop and you have their decomposing bodies and reaching into the soil. Yeah. yeah not to mention urine. Yeah. 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 In fact, I did an episode of Forward Thinking where I talked about water. And at the end of it, they had me have a, a glass of water and I took a sip. And, hmm, hmm, triceratops. Mm, oh, yeah. nice. As a little, little, just a little gag, a little joke. Uh, but yes, that's absolutely true. And so uh, that is another thing that will come into play with the pseudoscience. Let's, let's kind of Look at some of these because there's tons of examples of different approaches. And they, again, mostly rely on people not really being scientifically literate when it comes to just things like water and, you know, basic science. 
So one of those, and there's Julie drinking water right now on mic. Uh, there's one Did of you those, hear it? Oh, yeah, I heard that. I just want to make sure you guys know that no, I'm it's participating good. in this fully. It's good. No, you really are. I didn't even think to bring water in here. So mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I've, I've been slouching off on the research. Mm-hmm. I'll have a talking to after the episode. So one of the uh, things that has come up is this idea of water clusters. And water clusters in the technology world, it essentially says that there's usually some sort of device that is supposed to induce water to like groups of water molecules to cluster together in particular patterns. Mm -hmm. And that this somehow makes water more effective in hydration or it ends up being helpful in some other really vague way. Like it's supposed to help your health somehow that the, the actual physical orientation of water molecules changes how we take it in where they cluster yeah or how or what patterns like if it clusters in a hexagonal pattern Mm -hmm. or if there or if it's a cluster of five molecules rather than 10 molecules that's actually one of the products i looked at talked about like the water that comes out of your tap clusters in 10 molecule groups but our water clusters in five molecule groups so it'll be absorbed by your body more effectively all of it was meaningless. I know. See, like, I'm already trying to transpose some sort of meaning on this, like maybe yeah. numerology. Oh, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely weird. That's uh, Another thing is that they talk about it removing toxins. Mm-hmm. But again, that's a very broad and vague topic that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So uh, here's the deal. Water molecules do associate with each other within any body of water, mm-hmm. like whether that's a lake or a glass of water, whatever. They do associate with each other. And we often will refer to those associations as clusters. But this is purely a conceptual term. Like we're using it as as a way of describing this very brief association. And when I talk about brief, I mean on the matter of a few picoseconds. So they might be clustered in five or seven, this configuration, but for... for, for for less than a fraction of a second. I mean, you know, a picosecond is a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, a picosecond is one trillionth of a second. So we're talking about so short that there's no way a human would ever be able to perceive it, much less be able to take some sort of beneficial uh, effect from it. And it's constantly rearranging itself. It's a fluid. It's right. constantly, these, these associations don't like lock in. Until you freeze something and then you've got a crystalline structure. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's in liquid form, it's never locked in. So you, there's there's no device that you could turn on that's going to zap it with electricity or shine some sort of weird light on it. And that automatically makes the water form itself into this molecular structure. That's just not the way water works. Well, I, I feel like in even trying to get to some sort of logic on it and explain it, it's futile. Like it, yeah. even just trying to, you can tell like, ah, I see. Right. There's nothing to this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it. And again, like it, the only reason why it works is if someone does not know how water, you know, liquid water, how, how that's arranged. And it's understandable that you wouldn't know that because it's not necessarily something you would learn in uh, school. I mean, it certainly wasn't something I learned in school until I got up to like pretty high level chemistry. But uh there are other ones that rely on things like piezoelectric effect of quartz crystals, which this is where they get you because they mention something that does have a basis in science, 
but then they apply it in a way that doesn't make any sense. That's what I was thinking. Okay, we know this has kinetic energy, but is this really going to bolster my water? Right. Yeah, in this case, we're talking about things like a, a water filter system that you might have for a, a pitcher, like, you know, a pitcher of water. Mm-hmm. You've got the little filter built in. But instead of it just being a regular filter, filters do work. We'll talk about them later. Sure. Uh, it would actually include a quartz crystal with the claim that there's a piezoelectric effect that's going to uh, zap the water and structure it in a specific way. Now, we've already covered the structure. Right. The piezoelectric part, uh, quartz does have a piezoelectric uh, feature. Piezoelectric mm-hmm. means that if you apply a kinetic stress, like you squeeze a crystal, it will uh, induce an electric current. Mm-hmm. Really, it induces voltage. So uh, same sort of thing, though. If you apply a, uh, electricity to a crystal, it will then vibrate. Mm-hmm. This is the basis for quartz watches. So that part sounds really cool because you realize, oh, piezoelectric, that's a, that's a big scientific word. And you look into it. If you do some just casual research, you're like, oh, this is a real thing. It's not a made up word. But if you don't look any further than that, then you don't realize that, oh, this is a real word, but used for something that makes no sense. Like there's no scientific basis for what it's being applied toward. Well, and the mechanism too, right? Like if you're talking about kind of storing this kinetic energy in yeah. water, then. Yeah. How do you do that? That's kind of, yeah, you know, I, again, sure, it's, we live in a closed system. <laughs> right. Maybe there's but, a, you maybe know, there's a button on the filter that you're supposed to push to actually add stress to the quartz crystal. Cause I don't understand why, right. I don't understand where the, the mechanical stress comes from to even affect this voltage change in the first place, but at least not in the, the sense of a filter. I mean, obviously in things like watches and stuff, you have, uh, uh, you know, various, uh, mechanisms or electronic circuits there that are meant to do this right. but in a filter how's that i don't know i don't know the answer well yeah i mean there's the how do, how do you dispense of the charge in the first place yeah. how do you um yeah what was the charge actually like how what is the mechanism for the charge to quote unquote structure this water uh as it turns out and we'll talk about this again pure water Electricity and pure water not not such a great mix because uh you, you know you probably have heard like if there's a thunderstorm, you should get out of the pool. Well, that's absolutely true. But water itself is not a good conductor of electricity. Not not if you don't have ions dissolved in the water. Mm-hmm. If you have ions dissolved in the water, then those ions are a great conductor for electricity. But pure water, not such a good conductor. Uh, what about hydrogenated water? Had you heard of this before? I had not until, until you had brought it to my attention. Yeah. So it... it if you think, oh, hydrogenated, does that mean you add hydrogen? Yeah, that's what it means. Uh, it, the claim is that the water offers some sort of uh, active hydrogen, which in chemistry would refer to atomic hydrogen, mm-hmm. as in a single hydrogen atom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we usually encounter hydrogen as H2, um, where two hydrogen atoms have bonded together. Uh, what's the? That's the ordinary elemental hydrogen. So hydrogenated water, boy, I'm never going to be able to say it without... Hydrogen, it's like rural juror. It is rural juror. Yeah. Yeah. Bob blah blah's law blog is really tripping me up. Uh, hydrogenated water. It's, um, often referred to as being, uh, filled with like an antioxidant kind of effect. It can take care of free radicals. Uh, which, you know, in health terms, you, you probably have heard these before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some link to uh, various ailments, including things like cancer. Right. And so antioxidants are important in the sense that it, helps uh, 
eliminate these free radicals so that they don't have the opportunity to you know, trigger something catastrophic. But the thing is that your body already has antioxidants. And in fact, mm-hmm. usually it is more than capable of handling the the major, vast majority of things that you're going to encounter alone. You don't need to supplement it. Um, and that's assuming that the water that you're having actually does have a supplement to it. Uh, as for adding actual hydrogen, atomic hydrogen to water, not so effective because we just mentioned that hydrogen is incredibly reactive. Mm-hmm. It wants to bond. It's kind of like you, Julie. Just it wants to make friends. That's why I'm sitting right next to you, yeah. so uncomfortably close right now. Yeah, I'm just it, trying to bond with you. It, it's actually been very difficult for us to make sure that the microphones don't have feedback from their proximity. Yeah, to I mean, this isn't weird, right? I, I, mean, I mean, I'm right, like I'm inches away from your head. You know, it's uh, weird is a is a charged word. I don't like to use the word weird. Uncomfortable, certainly. Mm-hmm. Physically uncomfortable. But getting back to the hydrogenated water. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you might get like a, a concentration of H2 mm-hmm. in water. And in fact, uh, when you do that, you're really talking about uh, a, a hydrogen suspension in water. Uh, so it's not exactly the same thing. Um, but there have been some studies that have shown that hydrogen can act kind of like an, anti- like an antioxidant, but it may not be that it's truly effective in the amounts you're going to find in in hydrogenated water. So it's... Yeah, so you're saying that I can't go smoke, like, hot box an entire uh, <laughs> box of cigarettes and then just drink some hydrogenated water? And cancel it out? Yeah. I'm sad to tell you that that, in fact, is... is Yeah, you can't do that. I mean, you can't expect it to work. I mean, yeah, talk about magical thinking. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, uh, yeah, it's... H2 water would be a... a Molecular hydrogen in water, and if you drank it, you might have some mild antioxidant effects, but uh, it's very little measurable effect. For some reason, I just I imagine that would give you the toots. That's probably not right, but that's, no, no. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, that that is one other thing to remember, though. Not the toots, but the idea that hydrogen gas is a dangerous substance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's extremely flammable. Uh, it's you know, I I think there was one. The resource I was reading that referred to hydrogenated water that would give you explosive results. And I thought, what poor wording, considering what hydrogen, you know, you could blow up if you had a, a amount of hydrogen gas that that caught fire. Now, you probably have heard about this ignoble award uh, that was given to someone who w- actually did some research on um colonoscopies that went awry. Wow. Wh- Do you know what I'm talking about? So, like, like some trace hydrogen that was ignited when people were getting like polyps cauterized or whatever. So we went from... I don't know why, how we got, yeah. Colonics to colonoscopies. We're mm-hmm. really, you know, really scraping the bottom now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, nice. so let's move on to ionized water. Okay. Do you know about the ionized foot baths? I don't know about these. Please tell me about All them. Right. A long time ago. Because, you know, I, I, I'm i that kind of gal. I like to experiment. Sure. Um, you know, go into an isolation chamber and, and into a big thing of water. Right. Right. Um, and, and just see what that's like. I'll do sure. that. Right. Get a foot bath that's going to take out the toxins okay. from my body. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is called ionic detoxification 
foot baths and they were touted as removing toxins from your body and balancing the cellular energy. Of course they do. Now, when you do it, <laughs> they put, you know, some stuff in there. I don't know, like some bath salts or something. Sure. Like that. Okay. Like, and, you're talking about actual bath salts, not not the street name for that methamphetamine variant. Right. Right. Not, the, not they, the eat the human face bath salts. No, but then they give that to you. Okay. It's a spa treatment. That's a, all right. It's, right. So it's all inclusive is what you're telling me. Yes. All right. 20 minutes later, you look down at the water and it's disgusting and sort of orangey brown and bubbling. It looks like some sort of acidic cauldron. Uh-huh. And it's great because it's absolute hooey. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's one of those sort of snake oil things because... People who will do these will say, well, look, there's the evidence right there of all the impurities in mm -hmm. your body coming out. Well, you know, I, I wanted to look at Dr. Andrew Weil mm -hmm. and see what he had to say about this because he, he takes an integrative uh, medical approach right. to everything. So here's someone who's pretty steeped in science, but he's got sort of an open mind in terms of like what holistically might be able to, to help people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says, quote, this is all complete nonsense. The Guardian Unlimited, an online British newspaper, sent a doctor to have an ionic detox foot bath. He took water samples before and after and sent them to a lab for analysis, and neither sample contained any toxins. And when the reporter suspected that the discolored water might be due to rust, he tried an experiment. He rigged up a bowl of salt water with two metal nails attached to a car battery to simulate the metal electrodes, or excuse me, electrodes used in ionic detox foot baths. And that water turned brown with some sludge on top. Yeah. And the same thing that happens with these foot baths. And the change in color was due to iron from the nails. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, we see this a lot too, right? We see, we see treatments, not just water treatments, but other treatments where there are uh, alternative explanations for the transformation of some material that's made contact with you mm -hmm. uh, rather than just you know, this was in your body and now it's out. Sometimes it's, no, this is what happens after a chemical reaction has occurred that may or may not require a person to be present for it to actually happen. Right. Uh, so, yeah, well, uh, there's also ionized water that's meant for drinking, not just for dunking your tootsies into. And um, one of the one of the products that I've seen has or actually a whole suite of products claims to use electrolysis to ionize water. Uh, so this water is supposed to be better for you in lots of different ways, depending upon which company is offering the product. But it's very similar to the other claims, like it's supposed to get you hydrated faster or remove toxins or healthier in some other way. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Uh, to a chemist, ionized water doesn't mean anything. Uh, you, you can't really ionize water. Mm -hmm. You can have dissolved ions in water uh, and ions are, are atoms that have either gained or lost an electron uh, from their elemental form. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, when you talk about a, uh, or their atomic form, I should say. Uh, so when you're looking at an ion, it has a net charge because it means that now there are an unequal number of protons to electrons. Mm -hmm. So if there are too few electrons, that has a positive charge. If there are too many, it has a negative charge, too many being compared to the atomic version of that particular element. So you can have those dissolved in water, uh, but that's different than saying ionized water. It's saying that would be water with ionized particles dissolved in it. It's mm -hmm. two different things. 
So uh, once in a while, water molecules will dissociate and turn into hydrogen ions and hydroxide ions. That's still not ionized water, but it means that the that one of the hydrogen atoms splits off and mm-hmm. becomes an ion. And you have the hydroxide, that's hydrogen and oxygen, uh, just one single hydrogen atom, one single oxygen atom. So you could have ions of both of those. Mm-hmm. But that process doesn't it takes a while and the reverse process takes very little time so the process of hydrogen and hydroxide ions recombining to make water uh happens very very quickly Mm -hmm. so it turns out that if you were to look at a billion hydrogen or a billion water molecules you might find two instances of hydrogen and hydroxide ions out of out of a billion right so very little of it happens. It doesn't, it doesn't have any sort of meaningful amount. Now, electrolysis is a real thing too, just yes, like piezoelectric. Is. So that, that's using electricity to break down stuff. Well, yeah. Right? I mean, actually it's used to turn purified urine into breathable air and has been used by NASA for 13 years. Yeah. It's also what, uh, some companies are using to, uh, harvest hydrogen. Hydrogen, as it turns out, is hard to get hold of. It's mm-hmm. usually bonded with something else. And so we have to spend energy to get hydrogen. One of the ways is to run an electric current through water to break down molecular bonds and release oxygen and hydrogen and then harvest hydrogen that way. Uh, so you can do it. But using pure water is very difficult because, like I was saying before, pure water doesn't really conduct electricity. If you have ions in the water, mm-hmm. that allows electricity to conduct through it. So you might have something like a... Uh, magnesium ions in there in order for you to be able to do some electrolysis of the water. Uh, but it is, it is a real thing. So often you'll again find claims from, mm-hmm. from technology manufacturers that say this electrolysis device will ionize your water. And that doesn't mean anything. It's hooey. And also the, the devices they're selling probably not putting out enough electric current to actually do anything to the water. So yeah, I mean, one of the, the themes that keeps emerging when we were talking about this is this idea that these um, the molecular structures, yes, you can manipulate them, but that but these sort of changes are split side or yeah, less than a split side. They're transient. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they, they they are minor. They don't last very long. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it, effectively most people just say there's no change because in a meaningful way there isn't a real change. But what if you're like you have this this uh, cup of water yeah. and you're staring at it okay. and you're really concentrating. Yeah. Like you are thinking of the most beautiful unicorn ever. Okay. Well, I, that existed before the dinosaurs, right? So it's a Thursday is what you're saying. Right. That's that's how I spend my Thursdays. Yeah, Thursday. Okay, so all right, so unicorn I'm staring, Thursday. I'm st- I'm having really super unicorn fuzzy fantasies. Warm fuzzy thoughts while staring at water. Yeah. What, what are you getting at? What I'm getting is like maybe like maybe that water can be like conscious and like <laughs> it could really jive to this idea that you have of this magical, you know, creature. So you're you're and then you would drink it and you would feel magical. So That's you're what talking I'm saying. you're talking about uh, some some beliefs that would be uh, championed by Masaru Emoto then. Yes. So Masaru yes. Emoto who, uh, you know, we're recording this in November 2014. He passed away in October. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Mr. Emoto was a Japanese entrepreneur, uh, among other things and, and an author. And he had written a couple of books mm-hmm. about his, uh, personal experiments with water 
and emotions. And he, his claim was that your emotional state could affect the quality of water. And you would be able to see this effect when you would do things like freeze the water. Well, I was about to say, like, we've talked about water being transient. How do you, how do you glimpse into this, yeah. this water consciousness? You freeze it. Yeah. And that, you know, he, he had claimed that, uh, water that came from a, a pure source, mm-hmm. not just pure in chemically, but pure with emotion would form more beautiful crystalline structures. So a snowflake from such water would be, uh, would be more beautiful than water from some other like negative source. Like you had a bunch of, bunch of negative Nancys who were just hanging out next to the water, <laughs> water cooler. The water from that would make ugly snowflakes. I, I think his initial experiment, and this, by the way, if you guys aren't familiar with this and you've ever seen the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? He is featured pretty heavily in this movie, yeah. um, talking about this. And initially in, in his experiment, he took something like a hundred Petri dishes filled with water and then he froze them. And then some of those Petri dishes had, you know, positive vibes. The other had negative ones. And that's and then when he looked under a microscope, he thought he saw these, you know, let's not say he thought he saw patterns that he felt were, as you say, um, more symmetrical right. and beautiful Aesthetically and clear, pleasing. whereas the negative ones were duller, jagged and asymmetrical. And then like he kind of felt fueled by that. So then he he did uh, sort of variants of this experiment. He taped the name Adolf Hitler to one of yeah. to a glass of water to see. What would happen with that? So clearly water can also read. Yes. Well, yeah. no, it's just the thought. Just even the, right? If you look at, I, I like your joke, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? His idea was like, now I'm looking at this glass of water and I'm thinking <laughs> negative thoughts. Hitler's it's, water. It's Hitler's water. And then he had some other water that was blessed with holy, you know, by a monk or someone. And then he had a, a, another experiment in which, I don't know, people 2,000 miles away mm-hmm. We're thinking good, pure thoughts about this water that he had to see if, in his if, lab. If, if good vibes at a distance could have effect on this water. Yeah. See, here's the thing, though. Yeah. He didn't really engage in any sort of blinded tests. No, his there was no scientific rigor here. Right. If he if if you want to prove that there is some sort of emotional effect on water, uh, like from a molecular structure standpoint, which, by the way, has absolutely no basis in any kind of science, Mm -hmm. then what you would have to do is have a double-blinded test in which the person observing these crystals has no idea what the origin source of that water was. Right. They, They could not know because he knew which samples were supposed to be the pure ones versus the ugly ones, which automatically enters bias into the the Mm -hmm. picture. Uh, Beyond that, you're talking about something that's subjective as well. You would have to have a much more objective approach by saying, all right, well, what what constitutes the molecular patterns we would expect with this happy water versus sad water? Because beautiful is not going to cut it because beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as we have all heard. And what one person might find aesthetically pleasing, someone else might think is ugly or uh, uh, is is not as pleasing. And so this was problematic from start to finish. Well, yeah. And the other thing is that no scientist could ever reproduce his results. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also a, a problem. Red flag. And the <laughs> other thing is, okay, so why can, why can they reproduce his results? Well, I mean, there's, a couple of things that could be going on. One is that you can easily have contam- contaminants 
uh, that would change the the structure of the ice crystals. Yeah. In fact, you know, for things like snowflakes and raindrops, a, a part our particulate is, you know, particulate matter is necessary. Yeah. So that they can form around it. It's accretion, right? So if you had a pure source of water with no contaminants at all, it would actually be harder for you to form any kind of crystalline structure because it wouldn't have anything to form around. Yeah. And then the second thing is that that structure is going to vary widely based on the cooling rate. Yep. Yeah. So obviously uh, not so scientific. How, how about have you heard of alkaline water or alkaline water, if you prefer? Well, I have now. OK, so uh, it's it's water. You that's put a battery in water. Not quite. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could, but I wouldn't recommend it. Now, this is this is supposed to be water that's supposed to restore your body's pH level so that you are re- or you are balanced properly. Um, and, you know, it the way you do it is you have water that raises the pH level, like the water itself has got a higher pH level okay. than water typically does. And that this can counteract the acids that you encounter. Here's some problems. First of all, pure water can't be alkaline or acidic mm-hmm. by its very nature. It can't. It's chemically impossible. Uh, electrolysis won't affect pH levels, although a lot of places claim that they have boosted pH levels through electrolysis. That's just not true. Uh, for water to be alkaline, you actually have to add metallic ions to it. So that might be sodium or calcium or magnesium. And we get rid of excess acid already. We don't need this. Uh, we do it through respiration. By, by mm-hmm. exhaling carbon dioxide, we get rid of some acid. Um, we also uh, have this gastric fluid in our stomachs that's highly acidic. Yes. It would immediately counteract any kind of alkaline substance that we would drink in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that. But we don't absorb water primarily through our stomachs. We absorb most of the water through our intestines. Mm -hmm. Well, when water passes from the stomach to the intestines, you get some pancreatic secretions, which raise the pH Mm -hmm. level and make it alkaline anyway. So you don't even need alkaline water. Regular water becomes alkaline after (laughs) it goes into your intestine. Your body does it for you. Yeah. You know, uh, Robert and I just did uh, an episode on oxygen. Yeah. And mainly because we really want to explore the new material that will store and bind you, you and release. Mean, you mean the gas, not the television network. Does that still exist? I don't know. Does it? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't watched TV in a while. No. And I don't know that you can store and then bind and release the, the actual TV channel. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. But you can with oxygen, right? Sure. Anyway, yeah. we wanted to, to explore that. And then we thought, well, let's just look into other matters of oxygen. And oxygen bars, and it's the whole thing about, like, you know, there's there's 21% oxygen in, mm-hmm. in our atmosphere, and that's perfect. That's what we've evolved into, right? Or right. That's, that's the thing that makes our bodies work. There's no reason to go into an oxygen bar and have, you know, 40% oxygen uh, put up into your nose holes for right. 20 minutes. It's not... Your body is already perfectly calibrated with the amount that's available in the atmosphere. And that's yeah. what reminds me a lot about what we're talking about today is, you know, all these sort of uh, ideas, at least like this sort of faux technology yeah. and faux are delivering, science, yeah. actually are, you know, flying the face of what our finely tuned systems are doing naturally. Right. That, that is definitely odd because the message is that this is supposed to re- restore balance. But in reality, it's it's taking the thing that actually is balanced and putting it out of whack. Or right. if, it, if, in fact, it works and the technology is actually doing what is claimed to be doing. Mm-hmm. 
I haven't even gone into that, but there are a lot of these examples where it may very well be that if you were to disassemble such a device uh, that was supposed to change water in some meaningful way, you might find that there's nothing at all there. Or just a charcoal filter, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah which definitely does work, but that's a totally known quantity. Um, there's also, just to round out the, the various types of crazy water stuff, there's the concept of energized water, which can cover a huge spectrum of pseudoscientific claims, including things like uh, that use words like vibration. The piezoelectric one would be very right. similar to that. Or quantum. Quantum is a great word that can mean anything that anyone wants it to mean. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I, I've heard some scientists say that we should retire the word quantum. Well, it's been hijacked. and Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it no longer means what it was intended to mean. Right. Now it just kind of means mystical, like you know, because because things on the quantum level behave in a way that's very different from the classic level of physics, and and because these things that would be impossible on the macro scale are commonplace on the quantum scale, mm-hmm. the quantum world now has this. I you know, it's kind of replaced magic for some people. Like now, now it's because certain things are possible on the quantum scale. Everything is possible on the quantum scale. That That's the way the thinking seems to progress. Well, and water is water, right? Like the state yeah. of water is, you know, well, you could have three different states of water. Sure. But that doesn't make it quantum. And right. it's still water. It's yeah. still a thing. Do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is like if it could just magically poof, water would be gone, then maybe we'd say it's, a, it's water, not water. It's the right. quantum state. Yeah. Right, it's Schrodinger's water. It's here, but uh, it's not here. It, the water is only in the pool if you look at the pool. When don't you look, look a- in the box. If you look away from the pool, there's no water in the pool. Uh, yeah, no, we don't. It, it, it's it's a bogus term, uh, but there is plenty of real technology that we use with water to make it uh, potable, make it make it something that we can actually make use of. Uh, Filtration is a very basic one. Filtering water is. It's incredibly simple. Essentially, you need a filter that has pores, and the smaller those pores, mm-hmm. the more uh, contaminants it's going to keep out of your water. So uh, essentially, you just pass water through the filter. It holds back the impurities, the pollution, the microorganisms, uh, and you have a porous substance. The pores might be, if they're, let's say, oh, a micron in size or smaller, that's going to filter like- out. A hair, right? Oh, a micron's super small. We're talking one one thousand, one one thousandth of a millimeter, okay. or one millionth of a meter. So from micron, you would then go down to nanometer. So we're talking really small. Mm-hmm. But if it's a micron in size, it's going to filter out all the parasitic eggs and larvae, which account for a large number of problems where you have people who don't have access to pure, clean drinking mm-hmm. water. I mean, larvae and parasites cause enormous health problems in a large, um, large populations around the world. Mm-hmm. Serious, serious problem. Um, if you go down to 0.4 microns, so less than half a micron, that's how small you need to get in order to filter out bacteria. So we're talking like a super tiny hole in the filter, uh, or the super tiny holes because we talk about pores, in order to be able to filter out bacteria. So that's... okay. So tell me if I'm wrong about this. Is okay. it 50 microns that uh, across that would equal one uh, little sprig of hair? Let's see. It's a hundred. It's it's around eighty thousand to a hundred thousand nanometers. 
So <laughs> <laughs> I always try to get some sort of so I'd say, I'd say eighty to a hundred microns. Okay, really for the diameter of a human hair. Okay, but so there's there's a cute, there's a very wide range. Yeah. So. Yeah, so now yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're talking about pore right. pore. So you might say, well, how is that even possible to make filters that have these pores this small? Well, a lot of filters end up using other things to help so that they don't need pores this small. So you, you were mentioning when we were talking about this before we went into the studio, you said, hey, are you going to talk about the life straw? Mm-hmm. And I completely forgot about it, so I'm glad you brought it up. The life straw is a really cool uh, device, very simple device. It's a pipe filter. And it's a, it's called a straw because the way it works is you put one end of it into a body of water mm-hmm. and you suck on the other end. It pulls the water through a filtration system so that it filters out the vast majority of things that would be potentially hazardous to you. So mm-hmm. you get, you get relatively clean drinking water. The reason I use those qualifiers is because the filter on the life straw has much larger pores than what uh, I was just talking about. Yeah. So it has it has two filters that are porous filters. One of them has uh, pores 100 microns in size, so that gets the large particulates out of the water. And the next one has um, uh, pores of 15 microns in size. So at that size, you can still get like some some stuff that would be pretty dangerous. However, it also has a chamber that has little beads filled with uh, iodine. And iodine will kill most of the microorganisms that would cause you real problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that is an empty chamber where the iodine can continue to work on any kind of microorganisms as it continues through the pipe filter. Next, you have active carbon. And the active carbon is meant to do two things, attract any other uh, things that have gotten through and also to remove the terrible smell and taste of iodine from your right. water. Because iodine will create this bitter taste. It does have a distinct smell. Mm-hmm. It's unpleasant. Uh, so the carbon is meant to help take that out. And uh, I've seen different figures on how expensive each life straw would be. Yeah. Uh, the lowest I saw was $2 per straw. And it's supposed to be able to, to last for uh, 700 liters, which is about a year's worth of water for a single person. And it's great because it's portable, right? I mean, yeah. it's taking yeah. it with you anywhere. Exactly. It's a tiny little thing. Comparatively speaking, for, yeah. compared to like a, a municipal filtration system, it's it's it's, right. min, it's microscopic practically. But yeah, it's 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 a neat device, and it's very neat because of its simplicity. But you also have other technology, desalination, a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basic way of doing this, I mean, there's lots of different ways. If you if you really just wanted to have a very simple way, let's say you have a, a bucket and you go out and you get some seawater and you fill the bucket up with some seawater. And then you put a plastic bag over the bucket, mm-hmm. so you've sealed it off, and you you edge the plastic bag so that it kind of tilts downward at an angle to one side of the bucket. Heat is going to cause water to evaporate, uh, which will then condense on the inside of the plastic bag, and some of that's going to run down and go into the other end of the plastic bag that's mm-hmm. off to the side of the bucket. That water's going to be pure water. It's going to leave behind the salt. Uh, so that's your basic desalination. So a desalination plant tends to have an enormous boiler where you put seawater, you heat it up to boiling, and you collect the steam and allow it to condense back into fresh water. That's pretty cool. It's like a, on a micro scale, the water cycle. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the only, but there are some issues. Yeah. One is that you're left with this kind of salty slurry 
at the end. Yeah. And uh, what do you do with that? Um, you could body scrub. Yeah, that'd be a good one. That'd be a much better one than what a lot of desalination plants do, which is that they'll return it to the ocean. Uh, the, yeah. the issue there is that you have this concentrated amount of salt that can do damage to ecosystems. Mm-hmm. So if you just dump it like on a coral reef, then you've suddenly drastically increased the salinity of that area. That's a problem. Uh, but it is certainly an interesting technology and necessary for a lot of communities that right. don't have access to fresh water. Uh, then there's the slingshot. And this is a, an invention by a certain Dean Kamen. Uh, are you familiar with Mr. Dean Kamen? Segway. Yep, that's him. That's the guy. And he created the Segway. Uh, he also created the Luke arm, which is a cyborg arm that is awesome. It's amazing. Uh, there are vari- variations of it. You want one. It, well, I can tell. If if I were to lose an arm, I would definitely want a Luke arm. Okay. I would prefer to keep my arm. <laughs> I mean, like, attached to me, not just in a like case. Mm-hmm. I would like to have my arm, but if I were to lose an arm, I would want a Luke arm. Um, and it was named after Luke Skywalker. Well, that's kinda, even better. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the slingshot was his approach to how do you get uh, a clean water supply to people who otherwise would not have it in all parts of the world? What What is the most efficient system that he could come up with? And it's similar to a desalination approach. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, the slingshot uses uh, it, it. Well, it can it can make up to a quarter of a million uh, liters of clean water per year um, with a single one, which is enough to serve the needs of about 300 people for that year. Uh, so that's just one slingshot. You could get multiple ones and obviously increase that number. Uh, and it can turn anything like seawater, sewage, or even chemical waste into pure drinking water, which is pretty cool. Uh, and he's partnered with Coca-Cola in order to distribute this to different areas. They actually had a uh, couple of test um, runs out in Africa that mm-hmm. went really well. And they they also try to train like they'll they'll find people local to the community to train them to run the business. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. that it's all Coca-Cola does not have an interest, mm-hmm. in, a direct interest anyway. They're not profiting from it, which is a great thing. Um they're allowing the the locals to take charge of it. They're just providing the technology. But essentially what goes what happens is dirty water goes into the slingshot through a hose. Uh, there's a a pump that pulls the water into a boiling chamber. Mhm. Now, if you're just starting this thing up for the first time, you're having to spend some energy to heat up the boiling chamber to boiling to 100 degrees Celsius. The water boils. Uh, The water vapor, the steam that comes up, is clean. And so that then goes into a compressor. Mm -hmm. Now, you would think it would normally go through a condensation coil and turn into water. Yeah. Instead, he puts it through a condenser. And here's why. Remember when we said early on that if you increase the pressure of liquid... It increases the boiling point. Mm-hmm. That's why. Oh, okay. So he compresses the water vapor. That adds about 10 degrees Celsius of temperature to it in the process. But it also raises the boiling point of the water. So it starts to condense down into water, superheated water. It's above the boiling point, but because of the compression, that boiling point has been raised. So you get superheated water on one side. Now, that superheated water goes through a heat exchanger. So that the incoming dirty water and the superheated pure water exchange heat. Uh, they're in separate parts of the system, so there's no contamination. 
but the cold, dirty water gets flash boiled because mm-hmm. it's pulling heat from the superheated water, which then is cooled to room temperature. Mm-hmm. So you get room temperature water on one side and flash boiling the dirty water on the other side. There's also an exhaust hose that takes all the super nasty gunk of whatever it is that was going in there in the first place. Yeah. So you do have an exhaust hose as well. But I thought this was a really cool thing. And the neatest thing about it is that that superheated water provides all the heat necessary to keep the boiling chamber at the right temperature. So mm-hmm. once once it gets started, the heat is self-sustaining. Oh, okay. Now you still so, have to you still have to pour energy in for the pump right. and the compressor, but not for the boiling chamber. That's very cool. You know, and when when you look at this sort of technology in place, which is so important for countries that don't have access yeah. to clean water, it really puts into perspective, like say here in the United States, how crazy it is that we engage in this kind of yuck factor. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about uh, water reclamation, we're talking about taking sewer water and essentially purifying it so that it's potable. And a lot of communities will sometimes push back on that because there's that association of, you know, fecal matter in my water, even though the end result is that you have pure clean drinking water. Yeah, you can chemically demonstrate that the water itself is not contaminated by any of these other things that it used to be part of. Uh, But there is that there's that psychological barrier. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true. Like we've talked about on Tech Stuff and on Forward Thinking about uh, the International Space Station and how they take extremes to try and and, uh, conserve water as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And that an ideal system would conserve water from everything from urine to your sweat. It would all get captured, processed, and then you would have clean drinking water and you would expel anything else, any other con- contaminants out mm-hmm. in space. Um, so there is that thought of people are like, ooh, I don't want to drink my own pee. Well, you're not drinking no. your own pee. You're right. drinking water yeah. that was reclaimed from pee and is chemically the exact same stuff that's coming out of your faucet, which, spoiler alert, has probably been peed at least once through the history of the Earth through something. Some creature, some, yeah. yeah. Something somewhere. That water has been through it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and it might think, well, with enough time. Well, that's the thing. Like you, you get um, a lot of this is just semantics. We were talking yeah. about this earlier. Like there's a semantic distancing. Like if you can just name it in a different way, mm-hmm. you can market it or spin it, then you can get that sort of psychological distancing from the thing that it is. Right. But that being said, I, I always go back to this microbiologist whose name escapes me at the moment. But he says there's a fine patina of feces covering the world. And we forget that, you know, yeah. every surface. And in the same way, there's urine everywhere in the world. I I, I used to have a, uh, a an interior design company where our slogan was, there's a fine patina of feces covering everything. But uh, mm-hmm. we went on a business. Unrelated. It was a tax thing. I, I would have thought that you would have had at least some scatological minded yeah. customers. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I like the the guy who created the cloaca bot, perhaps. Right. All right I did want to mention an unsung hero of water. Okay. And again, Stephen Johnson, he's got that chapter on clean in his book. Yeah. He has a PBS series, too, called How We Got to Now. 
But he he points out that we largely owe our clean drinking water Mm -hmm. to this physician, Jean Leal. Oh, yeah. Who had this little idea of like, "Hmm, maybe if I put a little chlorine in the water, Mm -hmm. it would clean it. And I wonder how I could get a large enough body of water to test this out. And surreptitiously, he goes to a plant in, uh, I believe, in New Jersey, Jersey City. And he puts chlorine into the water supply in the early 1900s huh. to see if if uh, so, it has any sort of so he could it could be effects. like well this could clean the water or I might poison, you know, poison the entire population of this area yeah it was a ballsy thing to do yes that's a pretty yeah that science does require courage but sometimes courage can border on the scary. Uh, but that was awesome that it turned out all right. Isn't it you know? right? Isn't it great that it turned out all right? Yeah. And then he turned around and officially like presented his results. Guess what you guys are drinking? Hey, yeah. hey. Jersey City. <laughs> um, but but in doing this and adopting this, um, he actually cut the infant and child mortality rate in half over a 30-year period. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, because of all the junk that was in there previous to that. Not to mention making public swimming pools a reality. Yep. As that, well as all lifeguards saying, out of the pool, we right. have an AFR incident. Do you know what <laughs> AFR is? I think I, I think I could take a guess as to what it means, but what does that stand for? Accidental fecal release. Yeah. Well, Do you see how we brought that all through 60? I'm, yeah. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad you were here to, to walk me through all things poop and water related. That's generally that's what's gonna happen when when uh when, when you have... ask a Julie Douglas on the show. Okay, well, you know, that's a now you know. Uh, but no, Julie, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I, I learned a lot. This is great. Yeah, maybe uh we'll have you back on soon so we could talk about some other kind of crazy technology. Some more scat. Yeah, probably throw in a lot more science too because that's that's your your stuff. Hey, actually, tell people where they can right. find you. Yeah, okay, check it out. Stuff to blow your mind dot com. Um, we we cover pretty much everything under the sun, and uh, we have. Uh, there's some videos out there as well you can check out on the website. Yeah, some great ones. I like the elevator ones. <sighs> yeah, we might be bringing that back. Let's we'll see. I sure hope so. All right, well, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it's a topic or a guest I should have on, maybe an interview I should do, let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Keep forgetting because the forward thinking is different. But Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr, the handle is techstuffhsw, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 